when friends get together they blether and when these two friends happen to be Scottish blue badge tourist guides you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues. We hope that you enjoy listening to our podcast and you could join in our Blethers on social media. You can find us at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcast and we'd love it if you could share them with your friends and maybe leave a review on the platform of your choice. There's nothing to beat a good blether. Welcome to episode 7 of the third series of Scottish Blethers. I'm Liz Lister. And I'm Helen Houston. Good morning, Helen. Well, I think people might find it strange that we actually do go out for just a blether sometimes. <laughs> I know. And, uh, yes, and recently we had a really lovely walk in a really, really cold day, but it was just glorious walking up through Salon and up just a wee bit up the hill to the to Shield Bank coffee shop. Yeah, there has to be something, some treasure at the end of it to get us out. An incentive, yes. <laughs> but it was um, well worth braving the cold to get some exercise. And along the way, we were blethering and blethering. We started blethering just on the news the night before. There had been a big event in Inveruri. Inveruri is in Aberdeenshire in the northeast of Scotland. And all the schools in the Aberdeenshire area had been closed because there had been such heavy snowfall. And on the news, they had an event which was going down as the biggest snowball fight in Scotland. They're quite a way off it. They got just over 300 um, people at theirs. But I think the world record is in Canada where they had over 7,000 people at theirs. But it was quite a major event. Um, It reached the the evening news in in, um, the UK. It was the national news, not just the Scottish news. Well, that's a big event. And I'm just thinking Canada gets quite a lot more snow and it lasts a lot longer. And so they would have time to advertise next week or a week on Tuesday, we'll have a snowball fight. <laughs> Whereas here it was, the snow's on the ground, get to the field quick. 
Yeah, well, that's exactly what it was, Helen. And that's what started us talking about things were different in our day. Because with this one, the call went out on social media. Now, of course, in our day, we didn't have social media. But it just, it was a reflection on everything was ad hoc and unplanned in our day and just how planned everything is today. This couple put out a a message on social media saying that there was going to be a snowball fight at the local, it was the rugby club, it was the playing field of the rugby club. So they put out on social media, people picked it up, the staff at the local sports centre, they put the floodlights on and they also started playing music through the PA system as well and people started to stream onto the field And they had a wonderful time out in the snow. And what was really interesting about it was that those that were commenting on on social media were saying that it was such a lovely event. It was a sense of community, people of all ages coming, dogs running about, people dancing to the music, all generations playing and laughing together. And she described it as good old fashioned fun. And that's what started us thinking. So this is really what this one's about. Good old fashioned fun. Things were different in our day. Yeah. And of course, we're two different generations, Helen. So. Oh, well, yes, yes. Just, just slightly, Liz. <laughs> I was just looking at some of the things and thinking, oh, oh yes, well, no, that had changed from my day. <laughs> so we started to reflect on, on things that have changed since our young days. I mean, in my day, we didn't actually have them, but they were still within the knowledge. And that was snow days, where if there was if there there was snow, the kids got an automatic holiday. Um, when I was teaching, if it was very bad snow and the buses couldn't get in, we would get a snow day. But do you remember actual formal snow days, Helen? Well, not really, because of course, I remember Liz, I went to a very posh school. All right. So, <laughs> no, I don't remember the snow days, but I do remember that, you know, we talk about climate change now. The snow was much better then uh-huh. and that when it did come, it was it was nice and dry. But in my day, we did, we never, even as children, we didn't wear trousers. You know, it was always skirts mm-hmm. and, you know, short socks. So on these, the days the snow came, we had to, to you know, pull on our long, long socks right up over our knees. But you got a very, very cold bottom because you just had your skirt and your long socks, nothing between your knees and your and your <laughs> top of your leg, you know, bright, bright blue legs. <laughs> and then you went and lay in front of the electric fire and got tartan legs. Oh, got tartan <laughs> legs, yes. Well, of course, I had two sisters, so we had to share the one-bar electric fire. That was the other thing. We didn't get so much snow days, but when you wakened up in the morning with no central heating and there was these lovely ferns on the window, you know, the ice ferns on the inside of yeah. the window, and you put your hand on to to melt them. Uh-huh. And the only heating we had was a one bar electric fire and my sisters and I shoving each other out of the way to warm our blouses, which school blouses, which had got so cold during the night. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you used to take your clothes in underneath the blankets to yes. put your clothes on. And do you remember it was Brine Island sheets? So you got all oh, the static and the sparks. The sparks, <laughs> especially these mornings where it was still dark. You, you was like, sort of like fairy lights. <laughs> yeah, because you had the um, the Brine Island nighty as well. So the <laughs> nylon against nylon. <laughs> you were like a Van de Graaff generator. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I, I know these things... Poor kids, they don't get that excitement nowadays. They do not, they do not. Um, but also, it wasn't again in my day, but it was still within living memory, where there was actually official holidays for the tatty howkin and the berry picking. 
Yes, that's right. And and you know, these were the the season. I think tatties tatties were October, weren't they? And yeah. the berries were in the the summer. Summer, yeah. And that was really when you needed labour. It was a very labour intensive thing, lifting the potatoes and you know, pulling the berries. And I noticed yesterday when I went through to Dundee's on the bus, I passed a field and there was not children but men out in the tatty fields picking the tatties. Yeah, I think they, they pick them by a machine nowadays, but the machine doesn't pick everything. So they go out and lift all the things that are lying about. Would they not be would they not be laying them at this time of year? No, would this not be the I, well? There seems to be a them. lot of them lying around. I, right. It was interesting. I'm not sure, but um, there was a thing on Countryfile, one of the TV programs, that they, they're wanting people with the permission of the farmer that can go into the fields and pick anything that's lying about once it's been officially lifted, but with the permission of the farmer. Because that's one of the big challenges of Brexit, is that um, you're after the kids were used for the, the tatty howking. Um, that was the, the start of the October holiday that the kids still get. Yeah. But then it was um, the travelling people, the gypsies that were employed. They had villages that they would set up, tin villages for both the berry picking and the tatty howking. And then after that, it was Eastern European mainly coming yeah. across, but um, not nowadays. So there's a real problem with all the agricultural heavy work. Yes, that they just haven't got the people. And it seems that people in the UK are not too keen to do it. I think it's they don't get enough money to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But that was certainly part of the school calendar going back even before our time. But the big difference, I think, has been you know the advent of social media because in our day, it was all just word of mouth. And looking back on it, life was so much less organised. You know, we talk <laughs> about, we even from our kids' point of view, we talk about the so many toys, so little time generation because everything is planned. You know, yeah. you're planning around swimming lessons, tumble tots, music classes. Um, we were just put out there and left our own wild. Yes, and, and you know, one of the big things that, that I remember is the bike. I just loved my bicycle. And we went everywhere on the, on the bike. You learned to ride it quite at an early age, and then that's how you went to see your friends. You, you cycled to see your friends, and you went out for cycle rides, wandering through the the streets you know they I live fortunately lived very close to countryside so just went out on these country roads which were not as busy as they are now and just cycled everywhere but you also you learned how to use your bike how to mend your bike how to fix your bike how to change the wheels how to mend punctures how to polish polish your bike even I used to love doing that many hours spent in the back garden with the bike standing upside down on the saddle and the you know the bike standing upside down on the saddle and the handlebars just working away at the bike very good a good point that you make there that in our young days there was so much more space to roam about you yeah. know the countryside wasn't built up like it is today i remember bluebell fields you know woodlands where it was just you know as far as the eye could see, you know, bluebells, primroses, you know, you could explore, build caves and whatever. Nowadays, and our village is a very good example of this in Salon, where we live, the villages are losing their identity because all yeah. the countryside round about them is just being built up. Yes, huge building going on in our, around us, Liz. It's, it's amazing. It looks like the village is going to double in size very quickly. Mm -hmm. But talking about you exploring and all these wildflowers, one of the things I remember doing when I was into wildflowers and used to go picking wildflowers, identify them and then press them yep. into a book between blotting paper. 
And I, I lived down in Riverside in Stirling. Used to climb over the fence and go right down to the river's edge to get some of these water irises and some of these beautiful flowers down there. You wouldn't dream of that nowadays. You know, danger, health and safety. Couldn't yep. do that. Yep. No, that the children's childhood it's just completely changed. I and mean, we just made our, our own fun. I remember one summer holidays, because it was the summer holidays that you remember, you know, they seemed to last forever. You know, and you got out of school and you had the whole summer stretching ahead of you. And I remember for a whole summer, my friends and I planned and rehearsed a production of The Sound of Music. So that shows you going back now. We rehearsed it for the whole summer. Everybody had their part. We never did put it on, but we just had the, the, the fun. And it was actually interesting at Christmas time because my daughter Jenny was back home at Christmas time and The Sound of Music was on the television and we sat and watched it and she had never seen it. And oh my I, goodness. I and I could sing every single word and I did much to their... Shut up, Mum! Shut up! <laughs> well, actually, Liz, it was quite funny, The Sound of Music, because that came out when I was at university. And it also came out at the same time where people were beginning to think about computers and computer dating. Right. And I remember Edinburgh University, there were people going around handing out, you know, forms to the students and you had to fill up these forms and then they put them, presumably fed them into their computer and then you would get a contact for somebody that you matched with and you would make a date and go out. Uh-huh. And so at that time, I mean, okay, no Mila's. I got lots and lots of matches. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the poor girls in, my, in the halls of residence got no matches, but uh-huh. I got lots of matches. So I actually saw The Sound of Music five times with different dates. <laughs> Helen, you were such a girl. <laughs> I was right at the beginning of the computer age and computer dating. Who needs all these matchmakers and tinders and all sorts of things? Swipe that are right, now? swipe yes. left. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs that when you've got the sound of music? So no doubt you maybe you can remember all the words as well. Maybe maybe you were otherwise occupied. But anyway, oh no, move, I remember the words. On, moving on. <laughs> Um, do you also remember every year the circus coming to town? I think we've talked about we've this talked before. We've talked about that, yes. yes. But, um, that was such a big event, you know, the procession through. Yep. Yeah, and up and up and going round the menagerie and just seeing it, because that was in Stirling, it was at the King's Park, it was just up the road from where I stayed, and it was, it was great. And then the zoos, we used to visit the zoo. My yep. cousin, we used to go, well, my father's cousin lived in Edinburgh, and every Easter or you know, we would go through and stay at her house because her house was up at the top, the, the back door of the zoo, if you like. And so we would go down, go into the zoo, which didn't cost money in those days or any, or any amount of money, uh-huh. and then just wander all the way up through the Edinburgh Zoo and come out the back door at the top and dip it down for lunch. That was it. My goodness gracious, zoos were quite different. I remember going to, that we would go to Regent Zoo down in London, which was oh, amazing, you know, all the animals that you got there. This was the days before we moved to safari parks and Highland Wildlife Parks, which is in the news yeah, at the moment the because news, yeah. a monkey's escaped, a snow monkey, which is just right next, about two miles away from our cottage. So... <laughs> Waiting for a, for a snow monkey to appear and eat the nuts out, out for the birds. Yeah. yeah oh, so Liz, they have asked everybody to take all these things in. Yes, I know. I know. So the monkey makes its way back home because it's hungry. 
Yes, yeah, it was. It, it, it was, didn't get his dates to go and see the sound of music. It was looking no. for a mate, and it wasn't lucky, so it went That's looking it. further afield. But it's not lucky outside either, so it might go back when I was going to see when it wants to get his nuts. But I won't go there. I won't go there. <laughs> no, Liz, anyway, no. visits to the zoo. But you mentioned before, Helen, talking about bikes and looking after them. You know, school. There were so many things that you know school children today just wouldn't recognise. I mean, all of that checking your bike and the rest of it that came under what was called the cycling proficiency test. Did you sit that at school? Yes, I, I, that's one of the certificates I still actually have. I found it fairly recently. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I have to get it framed. The Tufty Club or something like that was that. Was oh yeah, that that that, that, that was your thing? road safety. The, the road Tufty safety. Club was road safety. Right. Cycling proficiency was the official one that you did. You had to learn how to you do your hand signals and all of that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. No. Um. It was also in the news just last week about how there's um there's a proposal that they bring in um teaching children how to brush their teeth in primary school and there's a lot of controversy over whether teachers should be teaching children how to brush their teeth and it might not be the ones that they want because it might be the ones that don't go to a breakfast club and all the rest of it but all this is brought on by the shortage of national health dentists so we've got a real problem at the moment with you know people having to take pliers to teeth that are causing toothache and all the rest of it so it's a real shocker but um they were talking about about this and you know you think back to our day this was just part and parcel of of primary school life. Do you remember the Knits lady? Oh, yes. Well, of course, she she didn't come to the Beacon School Bridge of Allen. (laughs) You don't know what you're missing, Helen. You just have never lived. (laughs) We we didn't get Knits there because, well, if we did, we didn't tell anyone. Helen. The black black soap, as my father used to call it, the black soap. Get your head under the tap and the black soap. Oh, right. No, we had the Knits lady. So she would come in. It was a health visitor that would come into the school and each of the classes in turn. So you lined up in a row and you went forward and you had to put your hands out. So she checked your nails for cleanliness. So you did the nails first. Then you showed her your... Actually, no, that's not correct because there was a a separate dentist that came to schools to Uh check your teeth. um, And you got a toothbrush and those wee pink pills that made your teeth, the plaque, all go red on your teeth. So no, the Knits lady didn't check your teeth, but she did check your hair. So she checked your hair for Knits. And I'm pleased to say that never in my life have I had head lice. Um, so never had no, that. I, I, I never had, I never had them. I was joking there. We never had them, but you, know, my grandchildren, have had, have had them. You at the schools uh-huh. now, they seem to be quite ripe in the schools. Yeah, yeah. They say that they go for clean heads as well. Yes. The one, although never had head lice. So this is getting into really people will be turning off if they're having their breakfast. But <laughs> the, the other thing that was prevalent was threadworms. And threadworms, I remember Jenny got them because the Play-Doh at nursery was a real breeding ground oh, for threadworms. Yes. So you lay their eggs in it. So, And the, the the treatment for that, for threadworms, was a little pink sachet that you took. And Jenny still to this day, if she sees a certain shade of pink, she'll go, oh, it's sachet pink, it's sachet oh, pink. Sachet pink, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. But then there were with all the childhood illnesses, which some of them are still around at the moment, but, you know, measles, fortunately... You are not so prevalent, although I think they're coming back. And chicken pox, I think, is still there, and mumps. And then, you know, later, earlier, I remember in the in the nineteen fifties, uh, polio uh-huh. came, and you know, some people had. Uh, one of the girls in my class at school, she was very badly damaged with polio, and her mum used to come to school every day to carry her 
around, you know, wherever the class was going. So she had the proper school experience. Her mum just was there. And if the class was changing classrooms, her mum was there to carry her from one classroom to the other. I mean, it was yeah, quite a thing, but fortunately yeah. that's gone now too. Yeah, my mum, she had diphtheria when she was about two years old. And of course, the treatment in those days was to take them away from their home and put them into an isolation hospital. And my gran knew that if my mum went to the isolation hospital, there's very little chance. So she put everybody from the house out and she nursed my mum. And at one point, her throat just almost closed and all that she could take was just the juice. My gran would sit and squeeze grapes. My grandpa Uh would come and leave food at the door and she would squeeze these grapes. And one night, the doctor sat through the night with her and about you know, sort of early morning, um, he said that's it. Um, that if it was gonna, if she was gonna die, that would have been it. It's broken now, and she went on to recover fully. But if she'd gone into the isolation hospital, I think that would have been the end of it. That would have been the end, and and she's still there now. Yep, to, yep. to tell the tale. Absolutely. But I remember you think things like you know, doctors, they they lived up the road and they came to visit. You, know, I, I had my appendix out when I was only about six or seven. And the doctor came round, you know, once he came out of hospital, came round. And um, guess what I was doing? Just had my appendix out. And when I came, when he came round, our staircase, our stairs came right down to the front door. And as he came in the front door, I was sliding on my tummy right down the <laughs> stairs. He said, ah, we'll have to do something about that. And then got a roll of elastoplast, you know, elastoplast. And just wrapped it round and round my tummy with no protection. So when it came to be taken off, oh the, the neighbour next door came in. She thought my mother was murdering me. Uh-huh. I was screaming. As Imagine taking an elastoplast off your whole tummy. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, sore. I can oh. remember it to this day. Yeah, but, you know, just think about it. A doctor's home visit these days, kids just don't know that. It just doesn't no. happen. But if you were off school didn't matter what it was if you were off school the doctor had to come so I went through my childhood illnesses I had measles chicken pox the worst was mumps that was oh. absolutely excruciating and the story with that is that we were due to be going camping the only time in my life that we were ever going to be under canvas and uh, because I got mumps so I've never yet gone camping in a tent you know I know that you're the expert but we've never done it but even oh my even sore throats and colds. You know, if you were off school, the doctor was sent for. And usually you got the same treatment. It was the bottle of medicine. I think it was penicillin, but it was flavoured with cherries. Do you remember that? Oh, the I don't remember one? that, no. Oh, amoxicillin or something like that, I think it was Yeah, Yeah, I remember that, yes. Oh, uh-huh. That taste of cherries. Even today, if you get something that tastes of cherries, I think, oh, I just bounced <laughs> Oh gosh, your your poor household, Jenny with her pink sashy pink, and you with your the cherries. My goodness, my medic, my medicine. <laughs> Traumatized, but you always got a, something sweet to finish it off, and that was another feature of um, of schools that's changed today. We all took school dinners. Yes, I'm just just before we go on to school dinners, Liz. I was just thinking we we're talking about medicine. Of course, you're you're far too young to remember, but I've got two sisters, and so the three of us would be lined up for the cod liver oil tablet right. and the spoonful of malt. Right, right. Every day. Yeah. I mean, my gran did try that, but I think she got too much rebellion. But we got the little halib orange vitamin C oh, tablets. Oh yes, we loved yes. those. Yep. So we did get that. Yeah. 
Yes, but going on to schools, think things are very different nowadays for school. Ah, yeah. I mean, you nowadays know? most kids will take a packed lunch, and our day we didn't have packed lunches. You went for school dinners. That's what you did. And we've talked a lot about school dinners before. Yes. Also, play pieces. Remember them? Oh yeah, you always took something for your play piece. Yes. What did you take? I think probably it might have been a biscuit or, or a half roll or something with jam. Yeah, my, okay. my standard play piece, it was two digestive or tea biscuits stuck together with butter. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was something simple. Now it, it wasn't bags of crisps or anything no. like that. No. It was, and it, it wasn't fruit either. Uh-huh. I don't remember fruit. No. I remember the one girl at school, she always had for her play piece cold toast. Because she'd not, not eaten it at breakfast, so she was she got a, a cold toast, and I think it was banana, cold uh-huh. toast and banana sandwich. That was what she had for her play piece. Oh, changed days, eh? But again, you know, think back to school and how much it's changed. I've said before that I was the first year of comprehensive education in Scotland. Before that... You're so young, I know, Liz. I know. Before that, people sat the 11 plus, which determined whether you went to vocational or academic yes. school. And uh, because of it was the first year of comprehensive education, I never got the puppy that was promised if I passed my 11 plus. So, I mean, I was deprived <laughs> forever more. But um, schools were so different that they were be unrecognisable to people today. Yeah, and, and lots of clubs. I remember all the different clubs at school, that the after-schools clubs that you went to, um, things like the debating societies. There was you know, the sports clubs, the hockey practices, the all of these things all happening after school or Saturday mornings. Yeah, I mean, both as a pupil and as a teacher, you know, these activities, particularly the sporting side of things, were absolutely the best part of school. I mean, yeah. when I was at school, at secondary school, every summer after the exams finished in May, at the beginning of June, that was all just given over to sports. If you were sporty, you just spent the whole time out on the sports field and we were training for what were called the county sports that took place at the yes, big uh-huh. um, regional stadium, Gragemouth Stadium. And you just had an absolute ball. You didn't do any classes. You know, you, you just you just were practicing for, in my case, high jump. That's was right. for the high <laughs> jump. <laughs> you were for the high jump. Still are, Liz. But, but it was interesting because nowadays, Liz, it's all changed because the school now changes from one year to the next at that period that you're talking about, the end of the exams in, in June. So they're they're back at work right away in the schools. They don't have that lovely freedom. We remember it wasn't so much sport that we did, but it was things like we did projects. Or I went in an archaeological dig to Loch Lomond, to one of the islands on Loch Lomond. Just wonderful stuff that now doesn't seem to happen so much. More expensive things, going and look at the, the gorillas and somewhere else you know you'd spend, <laughs> spend thousands awards. of pounds in yeah. edinburgh awards yes yeah yeah no it just seems that um we had much more freedom we had much, much yeah. more opportunity less pressure i suppose yeah. nowadays everything is so pressurized yeah. but one thing that we definitely did have as pressure was that in our day we had corporal punishment oh yes we did yes i actually you know it sounds terrible but i didn't enjoy it but i think it didn't do any harm 
now then <laughs> this is where people who are of a certain are, are, generation are absolutely horrified yes sharpened I mean, takes of breath all I've around written, <laughs> i've written about this on um the guide collective um website when we were doing work on that and i remember trish getting back to me absolutely horrified we can't put this up Liz, um because in our day we had the belt which yes. was a leather belt called the Taws. It was made in Loch Gelly. It was a belt about um, just over a foot long with them um, cut into um, cut into tongues at the end of it. And this was used across the fingers, across the hands, yes. as corporal fun- punishment up to the maximum was six. And we all had it. I, I don't know it, many that were, didn't at some point. I mean, I got it. <laughs> this is oh, I got I got the belt quite a few times, but what was fun, what was not so much fun, but what was interesting about the belt, the teachers who could wield the belt were usually very very good teachers, and they didn't need to wield the belt very much because you knew that they could do it and it would be sore. So you always did your homework for them. You always you behaved in class, and you got very good results. But the teachers who were not so good teachers, who could not control the class, could not wield the belt. The class just played up in order to have the fun of what, this is terrible, watching the teacher who could not wield the belt, you know, try to hit hit somebody, hit the target, but miss and hit their own legs. You know? It's absolutely true, Helen. It was a badge of honour. You know that I remember one geography teacher, you could either take death or imprisonment. And imprisonment was lines or some sort of exercise and death was the belt. You would have lost such face if you took imprisonment. Nobody yeah. took imprisonment. You took the belt. I, I I didn't actually get it for that, but my famous <laughs> famous one. And you have to remember that at this time I was in higher chemistry. So I was 16, 17 years of age. It was a mixed class, most of them male. And yeah. my friend and I knew that this teacher, when he came up to look at your lab book, he always put his hands, he rested his hands on the swan neck tap. Because you imagine the, the chemistry desk with this swan neck tap. So the pair of us, we ran this the hot water on this tap until the, the swan neck of the tap was absolutely scalding. And he came and he rested his hands on it and burnt himself. So I got hauled out in front of this mixed glass and got given two of the belt um, for my for, for my efforts. Yeah, well, well my... my... I was like you, Liz. I took science, I took chemistry and physics, and there's only four girls who did these hires in my day in a class of boys, and the science teachers totally ignored the girls. Now, boys, this is what we're going to do. Now, boys, we're doing this. Look straight over the tops of our heads, ignoring us completely. But my, I got the belt once or, once or twice, Liz, but one which I thought was quite unfair. It was in religious education. And I was sitting there and the girl in front of me had red hair, beautiful pleats in her hair, tied at the bottom with blue ribbons. So it was these chairs that had the metal backs. And so I thought, oh, I'm a bit bored. I will tie, use the ribbons to tie the pleats to the back of the chair. And when the, the teacher asked us all to stand up for a prayer or something, Poor Marjorie, she stood up and her chair came with her because it was tied to her pleats. 
I, I did get the belt because it so happened that the teacher was Marjorie's dad. Oh dear, bad choice. <laughs> so, but uh, bad choice. But it was it was fun. The class enjoyed it, it and was. Marjorie Marjorie did too. It was fun, and I, of course, I saw it from both sides because I saw it from the the fun side, and I have to say that it was definitely not fun. There were some absolute sadists out oh, there, yes. and I have seen you know poor innocent children you know getting the belt and being absolutely traumatized for the the most mundane simple things you know academic things that they should never I mean it, it was terrible in it and it's it's you know I'm by no means saying that those days were the good old days and it should come it was not it was terrible corporal punishment but I've seen it from the other side as well as a teacher and it was actually more traumatic from the other side because as you say Helen if you couldn't demonstrate that you could keep control then you were open season and absolutely. so keeping control was largely you know going to the ultimate sh- sanction which was to use the belt and it was traumatic um, mm-hmm. you know, to have to do that, uh, much, much more so than being on the receiving side of it for the people that got it from me, I think. But um, no, it was um, it, it was that was part of of being a young teacher and gaining respect and earning your stripes and getting the respect that you needed to be able to maintain control. Yes, and it's interesting. Some of the other things that have changed at school now, it seems to be playtime. I mean, our playtimes were adventurous. I mean, even at the posh school, there were lots of rhododendron bushes and things. We were climbing and playing hide and seek, you know, getting into all sorts of, and a burn running down through the playground, mm-hmm. you know, a wee stream running down through the playground, playing away there, having great fun, climbing hills. And, you know, nowadays it seems that there's the slightest drizzle or bit of rain or something, oh no, it's got to be an indoor play. And I think part of it is the kids don't go to school dressed appropriately now. In those days, people were dressed in, you know, proper, we had outdoor shoes at school and we'd, you know, good, good coats on. Whereas nowadays, they, well, I see them standing at the bus across the road from me and they're just in, blizzards are blowing and they're standing there in their shirts, shirt sleeves. Yeah, it's all about uh, looking cool. And again, in, in our day, we didn't have designer goods. You know, it wasn't about the trainers that you wore or the jacket that you had. It was it was very much simpler. Um, I think that's the whole message that that you know you're getting from this. If anybody's listening to it, that it was simple. I, I remember you know the first car that we got was a Ford Anglia. Um, my dad got it through his work, and my goodness, to have a car, you know, up until that point, your bike was probably the only piece of designer goods that you had you know that was important but we got a Ford Anglia and we never ever had a new car whereas my friend her family were much posh probably more (laughs) like yourself Helen and I remember absolutely vividly that her father bought a Bang and Olufsen stereo and my head was absolutely blown away I remember it was Bridge Over Troubled Water and Carmen were the two Ah. um, the two (laughs) records that he bought and just listening to this it was it was amazing and they yeah. also they also always got a new rover as their car you know just different world well our our first car interestingly enough Liz was also a Ford Anglia or a Ford popular Ford Anglia I think it was AWG 448 but yours are probably a slightly later model FGE932C so definitely a few years later <laughs> it had a C at the end of it but ours was a black 
a black kind of like a little box car. And that's the one my mother learned to drive on as well, because we didn't have a car. We used to put the three of us in the back, no seat belts, nothing like that. And my father used to teach my mother to drive. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was interesting as a as a child in the back of the car. <laughs> I can remember that as well. Not something that's, like, that I care to bring back to the, the imagination. But, but yeah. And, you know, as I say, a lot of, of things went on in schools. That was where a lot of your social life was based on. You know, we went to the theatre. I remember that the class going out, I remember at that time that the big fashion statement was hot pants. And I remember going on the bus to the, the Citizen Theatre or something like that, and we all were dressed out in these hot pants of the time. <laughs> oh, well, I, actually, the time I wore hot pants was uh, when I was working, working at the, with the coal board down in London. And um, we it was the national first aid competitions for the for the coal industry, and four of us were asked to go up to Scarborough to be the stewards, and we could choose what we wanted to wear. So we decided to go for sort of mauvey, purpley coloured hot pants, <laughs> skinny rib white polo necks, long white kinky boots, <laughs> paraded around Scarborough. <laughs> Oh, I'm blushing at the thought of it. <laughs> well, you see, I didn't ha- quite have the figure for the the, um, the white. I don't skinny- think I did either. <laughs> the white skinny tops, because you know I was tall and skinny enough. And um, my memory is that I craved a pair of moccasin shoes. Do you remember those? Yes, yes. Because my dad was always insistent that we went to get Clark's, Clark's. shoes in the Clark's yeah. shop, and I hated them with the T bar with the T bar buckle. Oh, hated yeah. them. So the the fashion eventually became moccasins and moccasins were black leather, but they were healthy for the feet. So I could convince my parents that moccasins were not only a fashion option, but also were a good healthy option. But the problem was that my ankles were so skinny. <laughs> you have a great big pair of moccasins. It was like olive oil, you know, and Popeye with these cravings. So I not only wore one pair, two pair, three pairs of socks to pad out my little skinny ankles. So, you know, I, I was skinny then, much. Well, I, I never had now. that bother about having to pad out my ankles. <laughs> I just, I just, just a beautifully turned ankle I had. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what got you the invites to the Sound of Music Hell. That's right. <laughs> but let's moving forward, when you were talking about hot pants and we're into kind of your late teenage or early 20s, probably about late teenagers years, that going out to, you know, when you were able to go out for a drink, girls, ladies never went into pubs. It was always lounge bars. You could not go into a pub. You would not be welcome. So I, I my early drinking was in a, a lounge bar nursing. As I think you didn't even drink wine in those days. I think it was probably even a half pint of, of shandy in a lounge bar. I, we, I never went near bars. But in my day, my teenage years, it was the Scout Hall record hops. Oh, they were great. Yeah, they were, absolutely. And then um, the Dobby Hall in Larbert uh, had the disco on a Saturday night, which I wasn't allowed to go to. I was only allowed to go to the record hops, but not to the Dobby Hall. But the main thing that we had was parties in people's houses. So there was drink at the parties. This is the later teenage years. And then straight from there, I went right to university. And I can remember my first week at university um, going up to the bar and asking for a pint. And the, the person on the bar said, a pint of what? I said, I don't know, just a pint. 
I had no idea. <laughs> Complete innocent. Yeah. No, I learned it was, very it was, quickly. <laughs> yes, it, but it was funny because, but now the the the, the kids are are going you know, going finding themselves in bars and buying drinks much earlier they're not allowed to it's illegal but they still manage to and understand what drink is all about but i was a complete innocent abroad as far as alcohol was concerned i think because we didn't have money to to buy an alcohol to you to spend on alcohol but i i used to love going to the dancing my friends and i used to you know four or five of us would go together to the local dances on a saturday night um you know the golden lion and sterling and maybe out to dumbly and hydro and it was all very innocent, virtually no alcohol consumed. But my friend Fiona, she had a brother, Roy, who was so good. He used to always make sure that he gave each of us a dance round the dance floor so you weren't standing as a wallflower waiting for somebody to ask you to dance. Because if you'd been seen dancing on the dance floor, you were probably more likely to be asked by somebody else. Oh, right. Than just standing as a wee wallflower waiting in hope, and as your friends disappeared from round about you, as they'd been asked to dance, you then disappeared to the ladies until the dance was over, so you weren't standing alone. Well, I was thinking that these days were the days of innocence and uh, unplanned, but it sounds that they were just as traumatic then as they are today. <laughs> oh, yes. I often think, you know, as we're sitting here reflecting, you know, that my dad and my father-in-law would get together and my father-in-law was a terrible one for saying, well, Alec, we had the best of times. I wouldn't want to be born into the world now. And I find myself increasingly saying that to myself. (laughs) We always thought we were in the best of times, but it was certainly much more innocent than it is today. Oh, I think that is a, a very good sort of way of putting it. It was total innocence abroad. Yeah, but we did have, you know, we we had happy childhood memories. I'm sure that back then there was just as many that had unhappy childhoods, but it just wasn't as, I don't know, as well known as it is today, perhaps. But uh, yeah. And the sun always shone. That's it. Looking back on the the memories, the memories. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this walk down memory lane, Helen. So have I, Liz. That's been great fun. And I think it's probably coming around time for Word of the Week. What word of the week? Well, I was thinking, you know, that we were saying an age of innocence going out and playing games. One of the games that we played was um, beds where you had to, you chalked it on the street and um, you played with what was called a peaver. A peaver was an old um, cherry blossom uh, <laughs> shoe polish tin and you flattened it and you put sand or stones inside it to make it heavy. And you threw this and you kicked it about in your beds playing peaver. That's I I love that game. And you you say chalking on the street, you just don't see that now. You never see the hopscotch or anything set out. I got out. into big trouble for it. That was I a traumatic know. act for chalking on my street. I got warned and then I did it again. Well, we didn't do it a third time, tell you that much. And it's a shame because it does wash off. <laughs> tell my father that. <laughs> I know. I, I must say that if the kids try to do it nowadays, I said, oh, don't do that. You'll spoil everything. But no, my word is the dancing. Uh-huh. We used to go to the dancing and, you know, the other one, of course, the famous one is the boy comes up and asks you, are you dancing? And you say, no, it's just the way I'm stoning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, the other one is, are you dancing? You're asking. I'm asking. I'm dancing. <laughs> that's right, yes. That's great. So, well, Liz, I think it's time to wish our listeners a fond farewell. Yep. Hope and... we have a good week or fortnight till our next episode. 
And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the window. And it's tatty bye from me. Bye, bye for bye. now. Bye. Bye. Thank you.